This is the Fantasy Football Podcast, where we take data and convert it into fantasy success. No bias, no hot takes, only victory. This is the Fantasy Alchemist Podcast, and now your host, Dustin Chandry. Welcome to episode 31 of the Fantasy Alchemist Podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Chandry. And before we get started on today's episode, I wanted to share that I have spent all off-season in data collection and data structure mode to prepare myself for this season. But I never expected to see a stat on social media splitting Travis Kelsey's fantasy performances with and without Taylor Swift in attendance. But let me say this, never underestimate the motivation of a man trying to impress a girl that he likes. Now, I'd bump Kelsey up for his home games, but he's already the tight end one for all of fantasy. Plus, if I may add, Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes not only is the best quarterback in the league, but he is an elite wingman, making sure that his boy looks good in front of the girl that he's trying to woo. Now, in all seriousness, this episode is about key observations and trends for week seven of the NFL season. But before we get started, I want to remind you that you can follow and interact with the show. We are on Twitter, now verified. Our account is at FFAlchemistPod. Again, it is at FFAlchemistPod. And you can also email the show directly with any questions or comments at FantasyAlchemistPodcast at gmail.com. Now to start our Week 7 Key Observations and Trends, We'll take a look at the Thursday night game, and we'll start with the New Orleans Saints. And we're going to focus on running back Alvin Kamara, who is just the PPR king in fantasy football right now. Since his week four return, Alvin Kamara has 39 total targets. That's almost 10 targets a game, including 14 targets in week seven. Now, since week four, Kamara is leading all running backs in the league in targets, receptions. He's caught 35 of 39 targets, and he has a target per route run rate of 36%. And according to Kyle Borg on Twitter, those 35 receptions in a four-game span are the fourth most ever behind three different stretches from Christian McCaffrey from his historic 2019 season. Now, to put Kamara's receiving numbers in context, he is scoring more fantasy points per game as a receiver only than players such as Garrett Wilson, Jalen Waddle, Chris Olave, DK Metcalf, Amari Cooper, and Calvin Ridley, just to name a few. And that's, again, that's just his receiving prowess. And when you add in his rushing attempts, Kamara is averaging 27 total opportunities a game. That's rushing attempts plus targets. Kamara has been over 17 fantasy points in every game so far this year, and he is averaging 22 fantasy points a game. He has been a top five running back, even with only one touchdown so far on the season. Congratulations to those who drafted and patiently waited on Kamara because you likely secured yourself a league winner. As for the Jacksonville Jaguars, the frustration of Calvin Ridley owners is reaching a fever pitch. Ridley finished with one catch for five yards on four targets in the Thursday night game. Now, Ridley's target count in Week 7 was outside his season norm as he's had at least seven targets in five of seven games this year. Nonetheless, Ridley's fantasy numbers pale in comparison to teammate Christian Kirk. Kirk is averaging almost four more points a game on the season, and the disparity is even wider when you take out week one. But Hayden Winks 
has a great visualization on Twitter that I retweeted. In it, he looks at the percentage of targets that were near the sideline and at least 10 yards down the field. Hayden Wink refers to those as prayer targets because they are less likely to be caught than a target that's shorter and over the middle of the field. In it, you see Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley have a similar target target count, but Kirk's targets are considered to be more layup targets to Ridley's, which are, are more likely to be prayer targets. This helps explain why Kirk has a season-long catch rate above 70, 70%, whereas Calvin Ridley is only catching 50 56% of his targets. If he wasn't already, Christian Kirk should be ranked ahead of Calvin Ridley for the rest of the season. Ridley can still be a service, serviceable flex start during future bye weeks, but I wouldn't rank him as anything more than a wide receiver three for now. A la Justin Pugh, Daryl Henderson went from off the couch into a starting role for the LA Rams on Sunday. Henderson played a majority of the running back snaps with a 58% snap share. He owned high value snaps too, inside the 10 yard line and in two minute drills. Henderson had 20 total opportunities, 18 carries plus two targets, and he had a rushing touchdown for 13.6 fantasy points. Now, while Henderson played well, considering that he was unsigned on Monday and was a lead back by Sunday, this backfield looks very much like a committee situation. Remember, Kyron Williams was playing over 80% of snaps prior to his injury. No one in this backfield is going to get over 80% of snaps going forward. Compounding things even more is that the Rams didn't have many pass attempts in this game. Surprisingly, the Rams ran the ball more as a percentage of total plays, even with the questions surrounding their backfield. Matthew Stafford was below 30 pass attempts on Sunday. Prior to Week 7, the Rams were only below 30 pass attempts in one game previously and were averaging 38 pass attempts a game. So in summary, I would avoid the Rams committee backfield for the time being. It's a committee situation of of career backups who have com who combined for only two targets in that game, and the offense is unlikely to be as run heavy as it was on Sunday. Let's talk about the Raiders wide receiver tandem of Devontae Adams and Jacoby Myers. Now, I've been touting Myers for weeks as a borderline top 15 wide receiver start, and he continues to deliver. Myers had 13 targets on Sunday and has now had at least 10 targets in four of six games this year. He's averaging almost a touchdown a game. He has five touchdowns in six games, and he's been over 15 fantasy points in all but one game so far this year. Myers averages a 28% target share and ranks number 13 in the NFL in targets despite missing a game. Myers is the wide receiver 12 on the season with three top 12 performances. Now, in the six games where both Adams and Myers played together, Adams has a slight lead in total targets, 63-56, to 56, a slight lead in receptions and yardage. Myers has a lead in touchdowns, 5-2, to two, and because of that, Myers actually has more PPR fantasy points in that five-game sample, 105-96. to 96. Now, as for Devontae Adams, on paper, he is only averaging nine fantasy points a game over his last three. But on Sunday, he still had 12 targets, even though he didn't play the last 10 minutes of the game due to it being a blowout. Adams has only one top 12 finish on the season, but he averages 10.1 targets per game. Now, since 2011, only three wide receivers have failed to finish in the top 12, averaging 10 targets a game. Adams is still a premier player, so there's no discount to be had in any trade offers, 
but he is attainable if you can combine two quality starters into a trade for Adams. I've been on record for weeks now that Jordan Addison was going to have a breakout game, and he exploded Monday night against one of the best defenses in the league. Addison had 31 fantasy points on Monday Night Football, turning 10 targets into 7 receptions, 123 yards, and 2 touchdowns. Plus, Kirk Cousins just missed him on a 3-yard touchdown, and he earned a defensive pass interference on another potential score. On top of that, he only played 74% of snaps because he missed a portion of the game due to cramping. And because we saw the breakout coming, it gives us confidence that these these types of fantasy games are very possible every week with Justin Jefferson out of the lineup. Keep in mind, the Vikings are a pass-first offense. They lead the league in passing attempts, yards, and touchdowns. Addison should immediately be pushed into an automatic weekly start inside the top 20 of weekly wide receiver rankings. Now, separately, the Vikings' backfield seems like a mess for fantasy purposes. Alexander Madison's snap share since the Vikings acquired Cam Akers has been up and down. From week 5, Madison's snap participation rate has gone from 51% to 79% in week, in week 6, which alleviated a lot of fantasy owner fears, but then it went back down to 53% on Sunday, igniting those fears again. Now, Madison started this game. He played 12 of the first 13 offensive snaps, but from that point on, Akers received more playing time than Madison, and he ended the day with more rushing attempts. Now, like many backfields across the league, This appears to be more of a situation where I am more down on Madison than I am up on Akers. Arthur Smith is a menace for fantasy football. Now, he's publicly stated he doesn't care about your fantasy team, which is why he didn't say anything prior to Sunday's game about B. John Robinson's health. Not only did he withhold info, but a team with Kyle Pitts, Drake London, and Bijan Robinson, all of which, by the way, were top 10 picks in the NFL draft for the last three seasons, but those three players are for the most part fantasy irrelevant in this system. Even more frustrating, Tyler Algier only pl- played 50% of snaps with Bijan Robinson out. 32-year-old Cordero Patterson played 40% of snaps and had 10 carries. That's more total opportunities than London and Pitts had on Sunday. Now, I've said for weeks that Bijan Robinson is the only player on this team that you can safely start in your weekly lineups. And now, I'm not changing that. Bijan was ill or sick or whatever it was, but I will be watching very closely in week eight on what his usage is with Patterson and Algier in the fold as well. Lions running back Jameer Gibbs finally had a lead role with David Montgomery out, and he delivered with 27.6 fantasy points on Sunday. Now, we will, help, we will have to take Sunday's result with a grain of salt because the Lions got blown out, but Gibbs played 87% of snaps, he had 126 total yards, he averaged over 6 yards per carry, and he had 6 yards per reception, and he scored a touchdown. Beyond that, Gibbs had a career-high 10 targets in Week 7, and on a per-game basis, Gibbs is third in the league in running back targets per game with 5.6 targets. With a Week 9 buy on the horizon... For the Lions, I think it's likely Gibbs will have the backfield without Montgomery again in Week 8. And since we're talking about targets, let's quickly mention that Amon Ross St. Brown had 19 targets on Sunday, and he played almost every snap, even in a blowout. Amon Ross is averaging 11.5 targets per game on the season with 34 targets in his last two games. He is truly elite wide receiver one usage. 
Amon, Bra- Amon Ross St. Brown should be valued as a top five wide receiver for the rest of the season. Now, last week I documented how much I liked the Bears' backfield for fantasy perf- purposes because of two things. First, in neutral and positive game scripts this year, they like to have a true RB1 rather than a committee approach. And two, the running back unit typically performs better for fantasy when Justin Fields is out of the lineup. Now, I certainly didn't ex- did not expect Deontay Foreman to go for 16 carries, 89 yards, two touchdowns, three receptions, 31 receiving yards, and another receiving touchdown, 33 fantasy points in total. But what was interesting was Foreman had that performance on only 46% snap participation. Foreman was responsible for all three of Chicago's offensive touchdowns on Sunday, even though he shared the backfield with Darrington Evans. Now, I believe the conditions will be similar for the Bears again in Week 8. Fields has already announced that he is doubtful, but complicating matters is the likely return of Roshan Johnson, who missed the last two games due due to a concussion. Prior to that injury, Johnson was ahead of Foreman on the depth chart. Both Johnson and Foreman were below 50% rostered ahead of the Week 8 waiver wire, but right now it is a dart throw as to which one will operate as the running back one come Sunday. Now I'm placing my bet on the rookie Roshan Johnson, but I would love to have at least one of them on my roster. Remember, starter Khalil Herbert is still on IR for at least another two weeks. Ramondre Stevenson has returned to last season's form with six targets in each of his last two games, which is a target share above 20% in both contests. Now, Stevenson's target volume is is what propelled him into a fringe top 10 running back for fantasy last year. And so far this year, in the three games where Stevenson has had at least six targets, he has finished between 14 and 18 fantasy points per game. Stevenson is only playing about two-thirds of snaps, but his returning receiving work is enough to push him back into the running back two weekly range that fantasy owners drafted him to be at the start of the season. Broncos running back Javante Williams played his most snaps and his highest snap participation of the season on Sunday. He had 31 snaps, breaking a 50% snap participation for the first time this year. He also had a season high in rushing attempts, 15, and routes run, 13. And he had a season high 5.5 yards per carry. Now the last few weeks, this backfield has been a full-on committee, but Javante Williams is the superior talent, but he was coming off a serious knee injury last season. Now, we could see a situation very soon where the Broncos ramp up Williams' usage, similar to what the Jets have done in recent weeks with Brees Hall. Now, Williams is an ideal buy candidate given his talent profile, his draft capital, and the fact that his weekly usage is trending upward. I mentioned a few weeks ago how Bill's wide receiver Gabe Davis was putting up wide receiver two numbers, but that he would remain a highly volatile player for fantasy. Now, from weeks three through six, Gabe Davis was averaging over 17 fantasy points a game, even though he was only averaging five and a half targets per game. But Davis finished with 3.1 fantasy points in week six and then 1.6 points on Sunday. Now this is what a low-end target earner in a good offense looks like when the offense struggles as the Bills have the last two games against the Giants and the Patriots. On the season, Davis only has a 14% target per route run rate on less than five targets per game. He is, a completely de- he is completely dependent on big plays and touchdowns, but we have seen him regularly have those types of games. It's just not consistent. Davis remains a weekly boom-bust option. 
Now, if you're projected to lose and you need to take a swing for upside, then Davis is a reasonable start for you. But if you are projected to win, there's just too much risk to start him in your lineup. With DK Metcalf out of the lineup, rookie Jackson Smith Ningjigba, or JSN, seized his opportunity. He delivered 16 fantasy points on a team-leading 30% target share on Sunday. And since the bye week, the Seahawks are rotating three wide receivers, and JSN has eclipsed 80% of routes in each of those games. Now, not only is JSN seeing a bump in targets, but his average depth of target is increasing too. Now, here's what it's looked like from week one through seven. Again, this is his average depth of target. 1.0, 2.3, 4.3, 5.8, 7.4, and then 10.3, his high, wa- high water mark of the season here in week seven. JSN had an elite rookie profile coming out of college, and if DK Metcalf were to miss any additional time, I think JSN can be con- safely entered into your starting lineup. And then a few quick notes on the tight end position in honor of Sunday being National Tight Ends Day. Now, after a rough start to his fantasy fantasy season, Giants tight end Darren Waller has averaged over 16 fantasy points a game over his last three, culminating with 22.8 points on Sunday, his highest of the season. He caught seven of eight targets for nearly 100 yards and a touchdown his first of the year. Waller was presumed to be the number one option in the Giants passing game this year, and he's finally delivering on those expectations. He has a 23% target share and has reached at least seven targets in five of seven games this year. Cardinals tight end Zach Ertz has been placed on IR, meaning he will miss at least the next four games. This leaves teammate Trey McBride atop the depth chart. Ertz and McBride had been splitting snaps the last few weeks, but we should now expect McBride's usage to increase. Now, last year, after the Cardinals' Week 13 bye week, Trey McBride was playing over 80% of snaps, and he averaged 11.5 fantasy points a game when Ertz was also injured. And then lastly, Bill's rookie tight end, Dalton Kincaid, had a career high on Sunday with almost 16 fantasy points. His role, which was a 63% route participation, it really did not change as he continued to split with Dawson Knox, but that could change over the next few weeks. You see, Dawson Knox is set to have wrist surgery, and he could be out for multiple weeks. And Kincaid has a 21% target share this season when Knox isn't on the field. And in this Bills offense, without a clear number two behind Stephon Diggs, Kincaid is going to have every opportunity to excel. The rookie tight end averages 27 routes per game, but that should climb perhaps by 5 to 10 routes with Knox out, and that could push Kincaid into a solid tight end one while Knox is out of the lineup. So that'll wrap up episode 31 of the Fantasy Alchemist. I'll be back in a few days. We'll prepare for players that you should not be afraid to start ahead of week eight. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a review as that will help us in the ratings and allow other listeners to find the show. So for Dustin Chandry signing off, we'll see you later this week. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Alchemist podcast. You can follow the pod on Twitter at FFAlchemistPod or email us at FantasyAlchemistPodcast at gmail.com.